Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Brilliance Security Podcast. Hello, my name is Steve Bocut, and I am an editor for Brilliance Security Magazine. Brilliance is an online digital publication dedicated to the security industry. Our mission, and thus our name, is to illuminate the intersection of physical and cybersecurity. We cover both of these security domains by publishing original content about threats, hacks, products, and security strategies. We hope you will enjoy this podcast and visit us at brilliancesecuritymagazine.com. Welcome to the Brilliant Security Magazine podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We sincerely appreciate your listening. Today, our topic is predictive security. Predictive security is something, admittedly, I don't know a ton about, so I'm very excited to have this conversation. We've invited an expert to be with us today. We have Luigi Languito with Before AI on the line with us today. And before I bring him in, let me read his little short bio to help you understand who he is. Luigi Languito is the co-founder and chief executive officer of Before AI, driving the company's vision and strategy. In 2008, Luigi recognized the need for a shift in the cybersecurity paradigm from a reactive to a proactive approach. Under his leadership, Before AI is pioneering predictive security solutions and offering tools like pre-crime. From childhood, Luigi had a passion for technology. Over his 30-year career, he gained a range of experience and skills from IT operations to cybersecurity before launching several entrepreneurial ventures. Today, he is committed to advancing innovation in predictive security and ensuring organizations stay one step ahead of cyber threats. Luigi is dedicated is a dedicated supporter of digital education initiatives, fostering the next generation of tech talent. Originally from Naples, Naples, Italy, Luigi remains an active participant in cybersecurity seminars and is a recognized thought leader in predictive security. And with that, welcome, Luigi. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Stephen. Really excited to uh, to be here with you and uh, have this conversation uh, and uh, you know hear your questions. This is this is going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to this, and I think I'm going to learn. I think I'm going to learn a lot. Like I said, it's something that I've. I've been interested in for some time, but I, I admittedly don't know a ton about it. So um, I'm looking forward to to learning more. So let's start with Before AI. I think it's important that our, audi- our audience understand who Before AI is and, and what you do, maybe the motivation behind founding it. Yeah, so the, the maybe a you know, lit, little bit of the history behind uh, Before AI is I was mm-hmm. uh, working for a large um, corporation in IT for many years, uh, part of that career was around selling cybersecurity solutions. Actually, at the time, it was called network security mm. uh, solutions. And uh, customers were often um, sharing with me their frustration of the fact of being always victim, always you know, receiving information slowly or their system not able to catch up this uh, criminal activity on time and very stressful situation. And you know, I think it's only obviously got, got worse in the last yeah. 10, 15 years. And I remember one of the customer telling me, Luigi, have you gone to the movies to see this uh, Minority Report movie mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise? So some of you in the audience, I'm sure, will remember. I see you, uh, Stephen, nodding. So the the 
um, you know, Minority Report was this um, you know, novel, the movies from Steven Spielberg about a future in which a, uh, a mutant could see the future of crime and a pre-crime police would stop criminals before the crime was even made in right. that, you know, avoiding victims, right? And, you know, I got really uh, excited by this vision and I really liked and, you know, I definitely liked also some other components of that movie, like, you know, the, the holographic uh, interfaces and so on. But I really enjoyed this idea of, okay, we, you know, a future in which we could prevent crime would be a very good thing. Of course, the mutant wasn't exactly something I, I was thinking could happen. But okay. at the time, we were discussing a lot about big data, about predictive analytics. Of course, I was immersed in all these firewall logs uh, in, my, in my business. And so my thought was, at the time, in one day, somebody will analyze all this huge amount of data we have on networks and maybe come up with behaviors and then predict these behaviors before they happen. And that's actually what before AI does. We have uh, a uh, you know some tech, uh, very cool technology that uh, enable us to identify criminal infrastructure uh, before they are ready for an attack. So we identify them by looking at the entire internet and uh, looking at how all these infrastructure uh, change over time, and then identifying behavior of those malicious infrastructure. And then we share this information with our customer. We'll talk more uh, in the details so that they get ready and they can block the attack before the attack happens. And the company is now three years old. Uh, we are fully distributed across the globe. Company registered in France, where I live since 25 years. But we have most of our customer in uh, US, um, many large banks, social media providers, uh, and uh, manufacturing uh, companies used before AI to avoid the cost of attacks and be one step ahead. Thank you for that background, Luigi. So let's drill down a little bit and um, help the audience understand more about predictive security generally and predictive threat intelligence specifically. And uh, I would be interested to know if there, uh, you talked about adversarial infrastructure and i'm wondering if behavior is part of that um or how those two work together so yeah uh, sure so i think what, what helps is first of all you know kind of do a compare and contrast right so if we mm -hmm. look at today's cybersecurity, one of the things that i believe frustrate most is that we are moving more and more into a reactive mode yeah. uh, you know we uh, speak a lot about detection and response and the necessity of very fast detection and very fast response. When you use the word detection, by default, you are assuming breach and you are assuming that you are a victim. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe just myself in terms of my way of looking at things, but I don't like to be a victim. I like to be an actor. I like to, to do things. I don't like to wait for things to happen to me. And that's really what motivated me to kind of uh, invest in building before AI and, and, and in this technology. And so... What predictive security is all about is identifying those infrastructures from which the criminals will initiate their attack before they are ready to do the attack. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, absolutely, it is a behavioral uh, analytics uh, scenario. So we analyze, for example, in, in the case of before AI pre-crime, uh, plenty of metadata from a network standpoint outside of the customer networks so on the public internet to identify those criminal infrastructure being set up before they're ready. 
and it is hence focused not on the potential victim, like you know you would do vulnerability assessments, you would do um, I don't know external attack surface management. So those are victim-oriented technologies. We are indeed adversary-oriented. So we look at what they're doing, what they're architecting, how many servers they are setting up, where, where are they setting it up, what type of ports are they open, and so on and, and so forth. Right? So think to it like uh, understanding the behavior of the criminal setting up infrastructure. Most of those use scripts, right? These are you know, mm-hmm. SecOps uh, or, or CrimOps, maybe we mm-hmm. should call them. And so um, predictive security is about identifying those behavior and patterns to then be able to inform security systems about the oncoming attack before the attack starts so that they can okay. you know, they yeah. can basically block it, they can alert, and so on and so forth. So, you know, way to look at it is think about these, uh, uh, you know, smoke detector uh, in, a, in a house, right? So, you know, it's, it's well, actually, that's not a good analogy with the, you, the, the smoke. It means the the D. Actually, let me use another analogy. I think it helps. Mm-hmm. So, um, in cybersecurity, often we, you know, if, think about it. If you were in your house, and at some point you have a drop of water following falling, uh, falling on your head, and you think maybe there is a leak in the ceiling and the in the roof, that is what I would imagine is endpoint detection and response, right? right? And then you look at the ceiling and you see a stain of humidity, and you think. Well, most probably there is a leak in the roof somewhere. So that's network detection and response. And then you call somebody and say, can you go and check the roof? And this would be vulnerability assessment, external attack surface management. And then we are telling you next week is going to rain a lot. Get ready. Mm. So it's more weather forecast. So from the outside in, and it's more looking at the weather rather than looking at your house. Okay, I like that. So, so by focusing on the um, criminal infrastructure, uh, you can start to build a picture for your clients even before the behavior starts, right? So, if you wait, to, right. to, if you're looking for behavior, uh, nefarious behavior on your network, uh, you are kind of too late. You're already under attack, or there would be no right. behavior, right? So, this is actually, and, and there is, uh, there is maybe you know, the behavior is. There are two types of behaviors. There is the attack behavior, there is the mm-hmm. technique, the tools, the procedure, right? So what is defined in the MITRE attack framework, for example. So mm-hmm. this is what the criminal will do to do their, to perform their attack. But there is also the behavior of the infrastructure that they have to set up. So think about like a ransomware, you need a command and control server to receive data exfiltration information. So that is there is a behavior behind building those infrastructure, this has nothing to do with the attack. And generally those infrastructure are used for multiple type of attacks. So we are focusing and predictive security has to be truly predictive. You cannot wait for the TTPs right. to be in place, right? So you need to be on other type of behaviors that are more, in our case anyway, infrastructure related. Yeah, interesting. And, and I know that um, being always reactive is got to be the most frustrating part for yes. um, cyber defenders, right? I mean, you can never really win a game if you're only playing defense. Um, and mm-hmm. so I know that that's very frustrating. Uh, they just wait for for new threats and new exploits and try and you know deal with them as fast as they can. So let's talk about some of the advantages uh, over traditional approaches, traditional approaches being more reactive than proactive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
talk, yeah, so, talk so, about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So for, first of all, you know, one does not exclude the others, right? So in security, mm -hmm. we always have to be honest with ourselves. We need multiple layers of defense. Nobody has the silver bullet to block everything, right? So, right. so let's start with, uh, you know, grounding everybody. This is not like, you know, a magic wand that solved the cybersecurity problem. But we know the detection and response has limits. Why? Because you are operating in a real-time uh, environment. So you have a limited context. And generally, you have a, a, a trade-off between, you know, how much you want to see and how much noise you will get. And what predictive security bring to the table is the ability to remove a number of attacks, the ones that can be predicted, before they hit your network so that your system and your team can focus on the ones that cannot be predicted. And so, you know, I, I did recently an analogy in a manufacturing uh, scenario and I told them, you know, a company that spend 80% of their uh, investment on maintenance and 20% on innovation is not going to go very far away, right? You generally want a 30% maintenance and 70% innovation. Right. So today, I think similarly in cybersecurity, we need to think about can we move to prediction, preemption, prevention, like 70, 80% of the attack, keep them out and focus detection and response only on the 20% that really deserve the people. Right? So first thing, predictive security help balance that reactive uh, approach. The second thing is the anticipation uh, can be extreme, right? So for example, the, the sophisticated infrastructure, like say ransomware, we can send, we send indicators to our customers generally four to six months in advance of the attack. So that means that your system will be ready well before this attack starts. That means that not only you can block it when it happens, but you also can get ready and maybe do disruption activities. You know, that's something we do, for example, with our brand defense, where we want to avoid not only the attack, but also the impact on people outside of the company of that attack. And we can we can talk a little bit about, about that too. And the third thing is cheaper. Uh, it's actually cheaper because, uh, and, and I think that's, you know, generally understandable, the amount of work you have to put to uh, identify in real time an attack because you need to be 24-7 trying to catch everything. You cannot afford a single miss. While in predictive security, you are working in a batch environment much earlier, so you can optimize system. You can uh, you know, also tolerate some misses because you know that then you have a detection and response later for the rest. So you're adding another layer earlier upstream. And so that can help improve the operational uh, cost of the security program. Okay, interesting. So I'm, I must say, just everybody that I've interviewed over the last couple of years, probably, I've uh, have or could have asked this next question. And I think it is even more relevant to this discussion. So talk to us about data and AI. So what is the role mm. of data and what is the role of artificial intelligence or machine learning yeah. in predictive security? Totally. So first of all, I think I want to ground everybody that Today, we speak a lot about generative AI and all mm -hmm. the buzzwords are around OpenAI and ChatGPT and all of that. Right. AI exists since more than 30 years. There are many different disciplines. And I would group AI in three categories. So there is descriptive AI. That would be things like uh, 
machine learning, for example, where the system help us understand data. Then there is uh, predictive AI, where this data is used to identify the next, you know, uh, the next version of the data or the next action or the next uh, occurrence, right? In a very statistically valid mode. And then there is generative AI, where we use data to generate new data. So we're not predicting what's happening. We're just, just going to create something completely new, right? right? And when you put the three together, you get into these, uh, you know, uh, general AI that everybody uh, is kind of a bit worried about, right? right. So in, in all three cases, data is very important to various degrees. Uh, and I think as we go forward, we will find that data will become more and more important. Uh, you know, if you ask me, for example, you know, what is the, the kind of the, 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 the innovation that we have at before AI, it is indeed in the models and how we use predictive behavioral AI, uh, but it's also in the way we collect the data and the type of data we collect. And while I think very soon somebody might come up with similar model than ours, and you know, maybe, maybe another AI will generate these models, the data is not as easy uh, duplicable, right? It's data that is has to be captured in the moment it happens. Uh, it needs to be very, uh, you know, uh, wide coverage of internet, not to miss areas that criminals may be hiding them. And it has to be produced at a speed that is fast enough uh, to, to make the prediction worth because there's no point to do a prediction if the attack has already happened, right? So, mm -hmm. so, to, to, so I think, Data is so you know in, before we said software would eat the world. Now everybody's saying AI will eat the software. I think data will eat AI. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> and it's you know and, and I think a, a good indication of that if you look at what uh, Tesla does with autonomous uh, vehicles, it is their data collection capability of all these cars collecting all this data that is really setting them apart from anybody else. Yeah. And so very similar, I think, future of AI is not much into the models. But now everybody's very excited about it, but more into the data that will train the models. And by the way, this has a, a dark side as well. It's also the biggest risk of AI is criminals influencing the training data models to create bias or drift. Bias means that the model will not look at something. In our case, for example, we start predicting except in a, in a specific attack type or behavioral type. And uh, drift means that the model will over time move away from the design for which it's been built. And this can happen without touching the model, just through the data that you feed to it to keep training it. Right. Yeah, interesting. All right, so we th this really sounds fantastic, uh, this predictive technology mm -hmm. and predictive security, but let's look at both sides of the coin. So mm -hmm. talk to us about limitations and challenges. Sure, yeah, so so first of all, you know, I, I, I say this very often, the company is born in Montpellier, that is the city of Nostradamus, but mm -hmm. I'm not Nostradamus. I don't have the <laughs> book with all the prediction. So we cannot predict everything. Uh, right. Today, we are able to predict attack types that use network uh, as part of the techniques because it's either intrusion or exfiltration. So in technical terms, we can do north-south and so south-north type of attack, but not east-west-west-east within the network, right? So first of all, there is a category of attack about 10 to 15% of the techniques of the MITRE framework, like 
you know, a rogue employee coming with a USB key with a malware on it to steal data or encrypt a piece of a network, because that's entire contained into the perimeter, we will not be able to predict it, right? Um, there are cate categories of attacks of these where detection and response are definitely the only way to go. Uh, the other limitation, and this is more, I would say a technology limitation for us that we are working on solving, is that internet, it's a growing universe. It grows, and most people probably don't know, the internet grows at about 5% every month. So it is a compounding or logarithmic uh, problem to solve. And so for us, staying on top of that growth is a challenge, right? We need to be always on top of it. Otherwise, the criminal hide themselves in that new area and we don't mm -hmm. see them and we don't see their behaviors, right? And concurrently, because this data augments so exponentially, the processing power you need to put on the models and on the training on the models has to grow as fast. And so, you know, as, 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 as I was mentioning earlier, there's no point getting a prediction if it's too late, right? So you, right? you don't, you know, if I tell you today that, uh, you know, yesterday I knew today would rain, well, what's the use, right? It's too late. So, yeah, so it's similarly- It's no longer a it, prediction, it's now a post-mortem. Exactly. Right, so so I, I like to describe these in a way that in this industry, unfortunately, we don't talk much, that is false negatives, right? False negatives are those occurrences in which we did not announce a future attack. And I can tell you that for before AI, we run between four and 6% of false negatives. Okay. That may seem large, but it's still 10 times better than any other threat intelligence. So yeah. I, I, I steal this say from Michael Dell, that is, I'm happy, but not satisfied. Uh, <laughs> so we are in a good position, but we can get better. And that four, 6% is the combination of these two components that I was mentioning to you. So the, you know, maybe we, are not aware of that new part of the internet that just went up, or we haven't been fast enough to do the prediction, and so we are late to share it with the customer, and that is a miss. Interesting. Well, and to me, it seems like four to six percent is is really quite low. Um, if you could predict all but four to six percent of uh, future attacks um, in, in for any duration before the attack, I think would be a huge benefit. Yeah, and I think that, you know. We we very get excited in this industry about false positives, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 I can understand why they're easy to measure and they indicate an operational loss. Right, you're wasting time chasing a ghost mm -hmm. uh, or a false alert. Uh, you know, we we actually that's why we pr prioritize that today. Uh, we have ninety nine to ninety five percent of our prediction that realize, mm -hmm. uh, and so it's zero zero five percent false positive. But as I said, I think false negative is a much bigger problem and one that is not spoken enough in the industry uh, because, again, you are missing stuff. Right? And by the way, we know that it's a problem because see how many attacks succeed, right? So Right. Yeah, interesting, though. Is is there ever a, a problem where, I mean, and this happens in security a lot. It's almost the nature of security. So uh, what may appear to be a false positive was not really a false positive. It was just that you did your job well. You deflected the attack before the attack happens, and so you don't even know. Um, no, that, that's that's a, that's a different way of looking. We actually have cases like this. So we contribute, for example, to VirusTotal with our feed, and we have seen cases in which after sharing the information with VirusTotal, those infrastructure were shut down. Mm -hmm. They were not even got, the, the criminal didn't get to use them Right. Because we communicated, we put a spotlight on them, they just left them and, right. and went away. 
So, but this would be, you know, yeah, they may be considered false positive in a certain in certain respect. Um, but it's a good, it's a good. Once again, I don't think false positive are such a big deal as everybody yeah. makes of it. False negative is is where we should all try and focus a little more. Yeah. All right. So let's let's kind of tie back into this idea of, of data and the importance mm-hmm. of data and something that is kind of a big deal for everybody right now, and that's GDPR and like regulations. Mm. Uh, how does that play into predictive? Or you, how yeah. do you manage so, the, your need for data? Right. So, so the so this was obviously you know being a European company, even more of a pressing concern for us, uh, and right. we we actually built the infrastructure not to use any identifiable data, so we cannot do attribution. You know, back to one of the limits of before AIs, we don't do attribution, and we cannot categorize the attack. So we cannot say you, when we predict, is this going to be a ransomware infrastructure or a phishing infrastructure or something else, right? We could put a monitor and look at how it evolves. And eventually when it activates, we can discern what type of attack they're going to do, they're doing. But from a prediction model, we are so early in the process that we cannot say how the infrastructure is going to be used. Also because in most cases, there are groups that create the infrastructure that either rent or sell other people that then carry the attack. So it's actually statistically, we, we tried, but it's statistically not relevant. We do have information on why our system came up with the prediction so we can explain it, but it's not, you know, it's not something that you can uh, trust in terms of the type of attack. So you, we can say good and bad, and that gives you, you know, blocking capabilities, and that means you can fend off the attack. But it's not good for forensics. It's not good for, you know, threat hunting type uh, activities. There are other threat intelligence that are more relevant for that. And so back to the predictive capabilities. You know, if you go back to the Minority Report movie, there was a big, big ethical concern about the fact of doing pre-crime. So in our case, that ethical concern doesn't manifest because what we are doing is not aggressing or you know, going after the criminal to stop them. We are, uh, you know, announcing to the people that might become victim so that they protect themselves to avoid become victim. So it's a, it's a different perspective, right? And and in that, we don't have a challenge of privacy. We do have now customers that are starting to ask to send us their data. Normally, we don't need customer data because we look at internet public information. Uh, but if now that we have customers that start to, uh, you know, be willing to send us data and we can do different type of uh, analysis of that. Of course, we need to be careful on how we manage it and we need to encrypt it. At, uh, uh, you know, as we get it, we need to uh, work uh, in encryption mode as, as we go along uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's it's an, it's a new problem for us uh, and one that we, you know, I'm sure we can solve technologically wise. So far, we haven't had the need uh, because again, the data collected are not identifiable to a specific individual. Yeah. Okay. So I think uh, for me and I think for our audience, one one good way to, to kind of understand this is if you have some uh, success stories or ca- case mm-hmm. studies, examples that you can give us of uh, using predictive technology yeah. successfully. Yeah. So if you look at our uh, portfolio products at the moment, we have two uh, products. The first one, pre-crime intelligence, mm-hmm. is a predictive uh, intelligence feed where we announce to our customers 
the indicators of the future attack, domain name, IP addresses, subdomains, and so on and so forth. Uh, so this one has been used by a, a very large uh, manufacturer to fend off a rebel ransomware a couple of years ago. So what happened there, and you know, I'm sure the audience remember the colonial pipeline uh, mm -hmm. issue uh, at the time. So this was concurrent because it was the same group. This group uh, deployed the ransomware. It intruded in the network of this manufacturing company. Uh, the manufacturing company did not see or got any alert about this intrusion, like Colonial as well. Uh, you know, they had obviously very powerful EDR, XDR, NDR, you name all these great solutions. But unfortunately, given the nature of that specific strain of ransomware, no, no alert was rung. But when these ransomware activated, the first step was a data exfiltration. And that data exfiltration was blocked because their DNS resolver connected to before AI did not um, did not translate the domain name of the command and control server into an IP address. And that way the ransomware couldn't complete the exfiltration and hence it got in a loop, couldn't do the uh, encryption either. And they saved the day. They told us they saved more than $30 million just that they in avoided downtime of their manufacturing facilities. That prediction, so that domains that we had aired with their DNS, we had provided in March, so four months earlier from the July attack, uh, and so that's that's exactly the you know the, the power of the of the prediction, right? So their system were informed four months in advance of the destination command and control server, and were blocking that communication till the day it actually the communication started and it didn't go through, and then the day was safe. Another mm -hmm. product we have is what we call pre-crime brand defense. So the difference is pre-crime intelligence is really about protecting the customer network, asset, IoT, and so on, versus other customers that are asking us, how can we protect our own customers and our partners? And so what we do with pre-crime brand defense, we identify in our predictions the ones that are related to their brand. So for basically helping them block attacks that use their brand as the vehicle, so phishing attack, or email compromise attack, account takeovers type attack. And in this case, we'd not only provide the alert, you know, for example, we have this bank uh, in Italy, Austria, and Germany, Volksbank. Uh, they had a big challenge with phishing attack to their customers and frauds that were costing them millions of dollars a year because they were reimbursing their customers. They were losing money in those account takeovers. And so what we do with them, not only we alert you know, informing them that there is an attack that will use this, you know, domain that trying to impersonate Volksbank against their customers. But we work with the network of partners like Pod9, VirusTotal, and many others to create a sort of a coalition of the willing to block this attack, right? So by sharing our information with these networks, their downstream users will actually block or not communicate with those malicious domains. And so what happened often is one of the bulk bank customers receive a phishing email or a WhatsApp message and they click on it and they go nowhere. You know, they get the network is not accessible or, you know, the red page that say this is a phishing domain and so on and so forth. So we're basically disrupting the network communication toward the malicious domain before that malicious domain even is active. And so that actually reduced the number of victims and, in the case of Volksbank, I think in 2021, before they met us, they had about 8 million euro 
in losses from this type of attack. 2022, after deploying before AI, they went down to 100K, so more than 98% reduction uh, of uh, of losses for for through these phishing attacks. Uh, you know, proving that prediction plus preemption really can make a big, big difference. Yeah. Wow. That's that's fascinating. All right. Let's. Uh... Let me ask you to um, like dust off your crystal ball and look into the mm-hmm. future a little bit. And and what do you think? Just give us your insight on what you think the future of predictive cybersecurity may bring us. First of all, I think, uh, and you know, we are not that many that do this type of uh, you know new category. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to grow uh, mostly because people are just fed up with being in a reactive mode. And so there is a lot of demand. You know, I definitely meet a lot of people in events or through our prospecting activities, and everybody want to believe that what we do works. And ask us once they see that it works. Ask us, can we do this in these other areas? So, for example, the brand defense was not initially a product that we had thought about. We wanted to do just the intelligence, and then through customer requests, we thought that we could use it for that other use case that te- the technology we have. So I think. There is definitely uh, once people get exposed to it, and I'm sure you know through this uh, through this uh, conversation with you, others will get interested. There will be there is market pool for more, uh, as I say, left of boom uh, mm-hmm. technologies, right? You know things that help uh, prevent uh, the attack or block the attack or preempt and so on and so forth. And so this will drive more innovation. Uh, you know we definitely are seeing you know all these new technologies like. Uh, generative AI that's becoming more useful. The same behavioral AI that we we use is becoming more and more effective. Um, so, you know, on one side, I think we'll do better things that are done already. On another side, I think we will start applying these technologies to new data types. Uh, we recently ran a POC with a large bank where they share their building infra- information. So information from, you know, lift sensors and from uh, IP cameras and from, uh, I don't know, uh, they had uh, temperature sensors and presence sensors and so on, right? And we could show them through this POC that we could predict malicious intent of some people wandering in areas where they shouldn't be doing things they shouldn't be doing, right? So I think, you know, long-term, the vision is that predictive security is really the next security, right? I think to it a bit like, uh, you know, in the past, we used to talk about digital economy and economy. And today, all the economy has a digital layer. Right. And I think security and cybersecurity is similar. You know, 10, 15 years from now, we'll be talking about security with a cyber component into it. Okay. Uh, and, you know, part of the reason why cybersecurity is growing or cybercrime is growing is because more and more criminals are operating online rather than in real life, right? Yeah. So that's just the nature of the macro macro trends that we live. But I think you know predictive security will grow because there is market demand, because there is new technology, and there are many use cases because life is getting more and more digital as well. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. That makes perfect sense to me to see that expand to the physical domain and not just a, a digital domain when you're talking about predictive um, security it makes perfectly good sense all right um so let's let's kind of end here um with some actionable advice if you, if you could come mm-hmm. up with some actionable advice for businesses what they should and could be doing to protect themselves as it relates to predictive security 
Yeah. So I think, you know, first of all, the, 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 everybody talks about covering the basics. And I think the, the one thought that I would suggest everyone to, everyone to have is, you know, what is the balance between reactivity and prevention that you want to have in your organization? That's, uh, that's something you have to come up with a conscious kind of understanding of where you are and where you want to be. Uh, secondarily, you know, I wouldn't start the security program directly with predictive security. There is a lot of other basics that need to be covered first, you know, not less the usual asset management, uh, you know, making sure that people know how to handle passwords and things like that. I mean, I'm not going to teach the basics to, to your audience. But when you get into predictive security, the question you should ask yourself first is, you know, what generally is a threat intelligence program requirement is what type of risk I'm trying to uh, remi- uh, to, to mitigate and what kind of impact that risk not mitigated would have, hence how much, you know, I am justifying to, to, to invest in this program. And then if the answer to all of that is I have a manufacturing uh, environment where the cost of the downtime is much higher than the cost of the attack. So I need to prevent the attack to come in, not just for the attack, because of, but for the downtime. Then maybe predictive security is what you want to have. If you are in a fraud, uh, anti-fraud uh, environment like banking, insurances, you know, financial services, where you have huge costs that derive from the start of the attack, then you want to avoid that attack altogether. Right? So it's it's a balance always of risk versus cost versus benefit. And uh, the beauty is that once you decide that you want to go predictive security, and if you decide to conduct before AI, uh, we can help you. It's actually quite easy to implement because it is all done on our end, all this work. We don't need your data and we just provide you the information. Again, think to it like the weather forecast. Mm-hmm. To consult the weather forecast, you don't need to run satellites and supercomputing mm-hmm. power and all that stuff. Right? The, the, the weather forecast company take care of it and you only get the information and use that information. So think to predictive security as paying a subscription to a weather forecast system. Yeah, very good. I like that. <laughs> very well, concise. All right. So we're about out of time. Um, we always like to end with kind of an open-ended question. The essence of this question is, what should I have asked that I failed to ask? But uh, is there anything else that you believe that our audience needs to know, either about predictive security or threat intelligence or about the before AI? Yeah, I think... I think one thing that I like to share, and you mentioned it in my bio, I think one of the problems we also have in this industry is that we are very, um, how to say, very uh, selective on the people that we let in. Uh, you know, especially we try probably many to, to replicate who we are. The vast majority of security people come from IT, and they think that you should know how to use IP config on a command prompt. Uh, you know, that may be the case for certain roles in cybersecurity, not all of them, certainly not if you're doing, uh, you know, more governance, for example. Uh, so I think, you know, if there is one, you know, one of the things we, we, you know, I like that we, that we do in before AI in our, uh, job description, we, we say, you know, where you say, uh, uh, certification require, we say preferably none better uh-huh. if you are self-learner and self-taught. Uh, yeah. so I think we need to, you know, we need to learn 
and I'm the first one. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have a university degree or anything like that. And uh, I have some very old Microsoft engineering engineer certification, but uh, I'm definitely not a cybersecurity person as in, you know, what the UD and all of that. But so what I want to say in all of this is, I think we should be a little bit more open on how we accept different background into our industry. We know that there is a big challenge in, in you know, having more people. Uh, I'm very proud that in our company, uh, we have 18 nationalities represented, 48% are women, and, uh, you know, very happy with the quality that we have. Diversity is very empowering. So diversity of background, diversity of origin, diversity of genders, you know, anything that is diverse is good for cybersecurity because, as we know, criminal will tend to attack you where you don't see them. So if you are all the team on a very similar background, you will most probably do all the same mistake of not seeing the same thing. That's right. Your blind spot is bigger because you don't have anybody that looks that way. Sure. Diversity and curiosity for me are the two critical elements of a successful cybersecurity program and probably the two most difficult to achieve. But, you know, if people start to seek for them, maybe they'll achieve them. Awesome. All right. Luigi, this has been a blast for me. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for the thoughtful question. I really appreciate it. Okay. And a big thanks to our listeners for being with us today. And please remember to like and subscribe if you find this podcast interesting. And join us next time for another episode of the Brilliance Security Magazine podcast. Podcast.